Hey everybody, Jeff here. Before we get on with this episode, I wanted y'all to know about something that past guest and friend of the show, Chloe Jackman, is involved with. It's a cause near and dear to our hearts, but we'll let Chloe's partner in Reclaim Collaborative tell you about what they're doing. Here's Manpreet Kaura. Thanksgiving is steeped in America's history of genocide. The weekend of frenzied consumerism that follows further contributes to issues of racism and classism in this country. Join Reclaim Collaborative November 27th through 30th for Reclaim Black Friday, a campaign calling on businesses to redistribute a percentage of total sales from Black Friday weekend to Black and Indigenous environmental organizations. Follow us on Instagram at Reclaim Collaborative. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. I was starting to gain this level of gratitude for all the stuff that was happening. You know, like it wasn't just like I came here and took out all this money. Like now things were happening because I'd been good to the city, because I'd been grateful, because I had been so appreciative of how fucking cool things were getting. That was artist Jeremy Fish. Welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. In this podcast, Jeremy picks up where he left off in part one, telling us about the skateboard art and printing job that brought him back to San Francisco after a short time away. Jeremy shares the long list of spots around the city where he's lived, ending with his current home in North Beach and the funny story of how he got the place. He goes on to talk about his love and admiration for his neighborhood, how he's dealt with the pandemic, and the home in the Upper Haight where he's been in residency since September. Here's Jeremy. Yeah, I didn't want to fail. I mean, I was 3,000 miles away from where I grew up. I've never been good at anything other than this thing I had a job doing. Right. And somehow being incredibly underqualified, I like got in the door at a skateboard. I had applied my senior year in school. Mm-hmm. Like I went to those brands and was like, I want to draw a graph. It was all I'd ever wanted to do, kind of. Right. I probably should have mentioned that somewhere along the lines. Like that's okay. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I thought I could combine art school with this thing I was enjoying athletically, and mm-hmm. maybe I could get a job there. But my roommate, uh, some point in college, this guy Jason Pennick was a sales dude mm-hmm. for Think Skateboards, mm-hmm. and he got me an interview, but I didn't get the job. Right. Uh, I wasn't qualified. I don't blame them for not hiring me. I just didn't have that kind of artwork, and you know they're not going to put paintings on the bottom of a fucking skateboard. Right, right. So, um, yeah, just it was like a job that I couldn't even believe I'd got, and I worked really, 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 really hard at it. Not just at that job, but any opportunities I had on the side, just cause like I was not, I was getting things far beyond what I was qualified to get. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to fuck it up. Right. You know, I was also paying off my student loans, which in hindsight was incredibly stupid, but I just couldn't believe I had all this debt. And right. uh, my dad had lost his job. And like, I just was in a financial period of my life where I was really scared. I was gonna and say so scary. I just, yeah. I just paid the loans off before I was 30. Okay. Which was super stupid because I could have bought a gigantic house in San Francisco and lived there like a king at this point in my life. But, Going you know, back to the different economy yeah, back then. Yeah. I was just thinking I was doing the responsible yeah. thing. You learned. Yeah. That at least. Um, when would you say you hit your, you feel like you hit your stride as an artist when, in the story that you've described? Or was it after? Um... I worked for those guys between the print shop and the art department for the better part of almost 10 years, give or take. Mm -hmm. And 
at some point, <clears throat> uh, I left the skateboard thing. I was aging out. I had uh, I had torn my ACL in half and had it replaced. I had broke my ankle and spun my foot 180 degrees and got metal plates holding my foot back on. Okay. Um, at that point, I just I wasn't skating as much. I had always felt that I would stop working in the sport when I stopped participating in it. Right. Because I never wanted to be like an older dude telling younger dudes what's cool. Right. And so I was starting to get enough opportunity in galleries that I kind of pivoted a little bit. And I would say that's kind of when I hit my stride. Okay. I had the momentum of this, you know, I'd had a a two-page spread in a skateboard magazine for several years that had gotten slap magazine uh had gotten my work around the, the world a little bit mm-hmm. and i had just I, one of the guys at slap was like you need to get an email address like people are contacting the magazine like asking how to get a hold of you and uh so i'd say right around then okay. like i was finally getting my work exposed internationally because of the magazine mm-hmm. and i was having people contact me and i was getting weird art shows in other countries and like stuff that was far beyond like the dream that brought me out here, which was just to make some skateboard graphics. And once I had done somewhere in the neighborhood of somewhere between three and 400 graphics, it was just like, what the fuck else am I going to do? There's got to be some, and I didn't have any other goals. I was happy. That was all I kind of ever wanted to do. And once I had done it and was kind of starting to burn out on it, um, these, this other door opened. And so I kind of was able to go from like doing skateboard graphics into having art shows. And that's definitely when, is that also when the content of your art shifted from skate from just skateboards? Like when you started doing, when you started kind of broadening what you were drawing, or the subject matter when I was working at home at night was different. Like yeah. I didn't draw skateboard related stuff for right. art shows and things that I was doing on the side. Right. Like the stuff in juxtapose and that kind of shit was not stuff I would put on the bottom of a skateboard. It was different. Right. Um. So the the content had always been a little different in that lane. Um, but yeah, there probably was a shift at that time just cause I was tr- probably just to myself trying to prove that I don't just do skateboard graphics and I could do something else, like mm-hmm. something beyond that. I was also starting to get illustration jobs locally. Like I was starting to do stuff for the guardian, which got me a lot of local jobs <clears throat> and recognition locally. Um, I was starting to do a lot more murals for a while that were, you know, like, mm-hmm. I was getting art shows outside of the city, which felt good, but I was getting recognition in the city through stuff I had done for skateboarding, but also, you know, just other local opportunities. So it was kind of like, I was also still putting stuff in the street, like posters and stickers. I was going to ask you about street stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Both in college, I kind of started doing it. And then in the print shop, it was like, you know, I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. I printed posters that fit on certain things in the street and I would go and like put them on all the green boxes and like I just I could print stickers that would cover part of a stop sign and you know what I mean like I did stuff that was federally illegal right just because I could Mm -hmm. and uh, that was really fun because at that age I had already gotten really beat up and arrested for like using spray cans and Mm -hmm. I was kind of starting to be less attracted to it Mm -hmm. the term street art had been invented which Mm -hmm. was gross and I didn't want to be associated with it. So I was like, I just wanted to do things outside that didn't get categorized as like, oh, it's graffiti or oh, it's so street art. It's like, stuff. oh, it's that guy that does skateboard graphics that works in a print shop right. and just had access to print thousands of stickers and like thousands of things I could put outside. So mm-hmm. there was like this relationship I was building with the city and this relationship my art was building outside of the city 
And like I said, I was not only just internationally, but I was starting to get domestic opportunities and I'd like pack up my van and go have four or five shows and come back and like I could use the the print shop to print my own screen prints and sell those and so it was kind of all developing right around the same time. You kind of mentioned um, art about the city or the city being the subject matter. When when do you think that all started? That came and, in and, when and, I... and, and how and like, you know, what was your thinking or because you said like you never thought back then that you were going to be here no and then you got that opportunity and you came back and you've been here ever since so it's like when in that when in your time here did you like really fall in love with the place to the point where it's now showing up in your art i think well i know i I lived everywhere like i lived all over the place Mm -hmm. and i just kept moving to better and better spaces when i quit working in the skateboard industry at that point it was sink or swim and so i lived in the most unusual alternative places like the guardian had moved out to potrero hill Mm -hmm. and the spot that it had been on on hampshire and mariposa the family that owned the building couldn't get anybody to rent it it was fucking huge and we were in between one of those ups and downs of the dot-com thing i think it was just building uh no excuse me it was just trying to rebuild we'd had a that first crash Mm -hmm. anyway i'm gonna get that wrong but any the the family that owned the guardian building built this illegal unit where they used to make the guardian for me and a bunch of dudes I skated with uh, that were all artists and art students. So a bunch of us lived illegally in this building. Uh, eventually, I got an opportunity doing a residency with a gallery down the street, mm-hmm. which had like a giant shelf you could sleep on and a bathroom and a full kitchen. Okay. So I lived there and kept the gallery open three days a week. I, you know, I was trying to figure out a way to not bottom out here with only making a living making art. Right. And, you know, it just wasn't very practical and I didn't have a lot of money saved. Mm-hmm. And I do little commercial projects here and there, skateboard graphics and snowboard graphics and things for The Guardian and T-shirts for restaurants and stuff in the city, whatever I could get my hands on to keep the wheels moving. But a lot of it was that I was living in these places that were so cheap. <clears throat> Eventually, I was living in the gallery and I would rented this random office in The Guardian building separate from the apartment I had lived in. And then when the gallery residency fell apart and I didn't live there anymore I just moved into this random closet inside the Guardian building and I lived in there for like I don't know like a year and a half maybe and then I found an old video store in the sunset that had a bathroom and a kitchen built into it and it was just the craziest spot it was 800 bucks a month and my friends lived down the street Yeah. so I went and lived in this old video store for a couple years which was insane. It was right on the end Judah, and every time the end Judah went by, the entire apartment shook. Um, years later, I wound up meeting the family that owned the video store. Wow. Which is a really small world. Yeah. Um, from there, I got my apartment in North Beach. Okay. And that's, now we're talking roughly like 16, 17 years ago. Okay, got somewhere it. Somewhere in there. Got it. How stoked were you at the time to get so a So stoked, because a friend of mine's wife had told me how to crack the code to Craigslist. She had said that they had found this beautiful house by just being dead set on the thing they wanted and hitting refresh all the time. And that at some point, the thing you want will come up. You just have to be patient. And I was like, that doesn't fucking work, but whatever. I got nothing to lose. I got this killer old video store out by the beach. I'm being very productive. It's a very, very, very busy time in my career. Okay. Everything's coming together. I have a shoe coming out with Nike. I did an album cover for one of my favorite musicians. Uh, All this stuff is kind of churning. 
all in this fucked up video store by the beach <laughs> right. that you can totally see in from outside like wind blows oh. in and stuff okay uh and so i'm hitting refresh every day refresh every day and i had always wanted to live in north beach is where i went to school right and it was always in my opinion the most magical i'm italian like everything about it the creative history from francis ford coppola to Ferlinghetti to kerouac to just you know it's a it's a it's a huge list of stuff that's come out of that neighborhood and it just was some way you couldn't fucking live there back then. You mm-hmm. still can. I mean, it's hard to get an apartment over there. Absolutely. And so, you know, I didn't think... I knew, at the time, I was really flexible. I had lived in a fucking closet, but I needed enough room to work and enough room to sleep, and back then, you couldn't find that for what I could afford. Mm-hmm. I was paying 8 for the storefront in the Sunset, and I wanted to pay 12 to live in North Beach, which even back then was unfucking heard of. Right. So at North Beach, 1200 bucks. Refresh, refresh, refresh. refresh. One day, I come back from lunch... This thing pops up and it says, North Beach, one bedroom with artist studio attached, call for details. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. So I call the dude and he's like, this is insane. He's like, I just hit the button. He's like, I literally just posted this. And he's like, I'm still at the property. Where are you? And I was like, I'm in the sunset and I'm on my way. Yeah. So I ran outside, jumped in my van, drove across town. And before I even got halfway through it, I was like, I'll fucking take it. Right. Like this apartment's incredible. Yeah. That's when I started doing more San Francisco stuff. Okay. I was starting to gain this level of gratitude for all the stuff that was happening. You know, like, it wasn't just like I came here and took out all this money. Like, now things were happening because I'd been good to the city, because I'd been grateful, because I had been so appreciative of how fucking cool things were getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, North Beach is where the dawn of the city took place. You know, yeah. there's fucking plaques on the sidewalk that tell you about it. Yeah. And one of my most wonderful San Francisco friends I've ever had... Uh, who very sadly is in the process of moving away. Uh, his name is Jimmy Shine, and he owns Shine and Shine Maps on Grant Avenue. Okay. Uh, it's between Green and uh, Union on Grant. Okay. And they're unfortunately closing due to this because they just couldn't afford to continue to lose their shirts. And right. the store wasn't open for seven months. Jimmy was a real-life Jeff Lebowski. He was the roadie for Metallica for one of the roadies for Metallica for like a decade. Mm -hmm. And then went on to be a roadie for Miles Davis for a long time. And then stopped working in the music industry and opened this beautiful store. He is the greatest San Francisco historian I know. He's incredibly versed. He's a genius guy. And he always gives you his two cents on a piece of history. Like, he'll be like, you know, this happened here, but in my opinion, this is probably really how it went down. Right. And I just fell in love with the dude and his stories and his genius. And that's kind of, well, it was a combination of being motivated to do it by a a genuine feeling of gratitude. Like, this place has done so much for me. Mm -hmm. I just came here to to go to art school and, like, maybe do some skateboard graphics. And now, look, I'm getting plane tickets to go around the world and, like real opportunities are happening i owe this place something you know right and that's that's directly when it started you kind of touched on it with the story of jimmy but um can you talk about the pandemic so a couple things or or i guess the main thing um i at least wanted to hear from you about is the stay strong posters how did those happen it's a two-part story let's hear it um you know, I live in the middle of North Beach in that apartment I just mentioned, directly next door to Tony's Pizza and across the street from Washington Square Park. And I've never lived anywhere this long in my life. Uh, I live there all alone with a cat, and I'm very middle-aged and divorced. And 
it's been a real difficult couple of years and my neighbors have played a real big role in kind of like being family members or roommates you know like that neighborhood's always been like that you know it's got a real i got a real norm from cheers vibe going on around there and it you know it makes me feel like i'm a part of something to like walk down the street and like wave at all those people and just suddenly everybody was out of business or out of a job more importantly and there was no end in sight and i i just kind of freaked out i couldn't sleep and it was like really bothering me and so i made this screen print with all the little i've made over the years like six or seven different posters about my neighborhood to kind of support tourism and just you know i grew up in saratoga springs i'm very versed in tourism i understand Mm -hmm. the effect it can have on your economy part of what makes north beach so special is it has or usually has this churn of tourism which gives us this economy that the rest of the city doesn't necessarily have quite as consistently and that's why you'll see a lot of your grandfather's favorite Italian restaurants still there or you did uh, because we had that finance that a lot of the city doesn't have in the same level of intensity I mean Fisherman's Wharf North Beach and Chinatown is like on the list of shit you do in the United States when you come from Europe like Disneyland and the Grand Canyon and unfortunately Europeans and Canadians which make up the bulk of our tourism don't like to visit us when our politics are weird and right. it was very noticeable when George W. got reelected. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so I made these posters to hopefully raise some money for my neighbors because I felt desperate and upset and freaked out and the poster did ridiculously well. We sold a hundred of them in three and a half minutes and made ten grand mm-hmm. and instead of paying to any of these GoFundMes or things that suck and take forever to fulfill, I literally went around to the bars and restaurants on the poster and just handed them stacks of cash which didn't do anything you know what i mean like it gave some of those people some money to help out that week or whatever mm-hmm. but it isn't like i saved the day but it did remind me that i had the power to do or do something in a situation where a lot of people are just helpless and i'm not you know celebrating myself right now i'm just saying i had not thought about it like that and decided i needed to do more than that at that exact moment anchor steam reached out and they were like hey we want to paint murals on a bunch of closed bars and i was like nah i would never do that like I have health problems. I'm at an age where I don't paint murals on the ground level because they're just going to get destroyed. Uh, I mean, I do, but not as often as I once did. And I'm certainly not painting something. I don't. I, I, at this age, I don't like to paint stuff to be destroyed. Right. How's that for a much more simplistic uh, version of that statement? And that just seemed like a stupid thing to do. Uh, no offense to anybody that's beautifying the city with all these great murals on the front of these closed places. It's very important. It's created a sense of community. It's made millions of people happy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But at this stage, it was so early on that I had kind of hoped the shit would only be boarded up for a few weeks. And I just was like looking forward to it being over. I'm not going to go out and paint some shit and risk my health or anybody else's. But what if we make a poster that has a scan code in the bottom of it and we can paste them up over these closed bars. And when people come by and they're wicked upset because their favorite bartender's out of work, they can fucking hit this scan code and donate it to the United States Bartenders Guild, which again, we weren't able to direct it specifically at San Francisco's bartenders. Mm-hmm. But for me, I mean, you know, the Bartenders Guild is doling out assistance to the best of their ability. And we, being me and Anchor Steam, made a lot of money for that cause this year. And a lot of it was that initial paste the posters up on the front of these closed bars. And, you know, at the time, Anchor Steam's cool as fuck. Because they were like, yeah, we'll help you do it. And neither of us put our name on it. You know, this right. was in my street art campaign where I wanted everybody to look at my fucking Instagram because 
in the middle of a fucking pandemic and it was actually scary as hell. Right. So I drew the version of our flag, which is an important symbol for San Francisco. You know, there's a lot of dudes out there that have raised these annoying stinks of like, our flag needs to be read as like, fuck you, man. Design should never outweigh history and our flag looks the way it does because it's an important part of our founding history. The flag looks the way it does because in 1906, the fire and earthquake destroyed our city and we very quickly, because of the finance and wealth of the gold rush, rebuilt our city almost overnight and the whole world looked at us like we were badass. Right. And our flag is exactly about that. Right. And so I redrew our flag to remind everybody that yeah, things are super fucked up, but they're not gonna be fucked up forever and we're a resilient place and we have all this fucking money because of Zuckerberg and the like and so like, we'll rebuild it. Hmm. Don't freak out, you know, was the whole gist of it. When we saw the posters on the bars having a good effect, then we decided to make uh, my screen printer of almost 20 years, uh, my friend Nat, needed work, you know? And so I decided to make a smaller 18-inch version of it that people could get and put in the windows at their house and show some solidarity and appreciation for each other and just kind of also continue to raise money for the U.S. Bartenders Guild. Um, so, yeah, that was that was how it went down. And I have to, every time this comes up, thank Anchor Steam because there's nobody else. I mean, it's the oldest craft brewery in the United States. And one yeah. of the few things we still make in the city limits mm -hmm. that gets exported to the world and makes people drunk and feel good and think positively about our city, as opposed to apps that like build their thumb muscles and piss themselves off and create all this anxiety. It's like right Anchor on. Steam is still something I'm deeply proud of yeah. as far as like things that San Francisco shares with the planet. Right. And they're cool as fuck. Nobody would do that. Mm -hmm. They like not only called all those bars and got permission for us to put those up, but like paid for the screen prints and paid to make shirts and stickers and shit that like, you know, weren't, they didn't take any of the money for any of that. Like they sold all that stuff, took a hundred percent of it and donated it to the bartenders guild. So I have to tip my hat to anchor steam because I had a crazy ass idea, but I'm not gonna, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't going to pay to produce it all on my own and go out and start pasting up shit all over people's property. Fucking 90 years old. Right. It just seemed like a, like something I wasn't going to do without the motivation and help of, you know, this giant fucking brewery that I really appreciate and respect. And I, like I said, it wouldn't have happened without them. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like it had a really positive effect. Like it, it really, uh, the Guardians or the Weekly rather is about to put out their first printed magazine in six months or something. Mm. They haven't been printing. Right. And they asked if they could use it for the cover because unfortunately oh, wow. it's still sadly relevant right and that sucks right you know like it sucks that we're still talking about it and the fucking thing is just as valuable to i mean i'm not again I'm not giving the poster more credit than it deserves but i still get people emailing me asking for it and that sucks like yeah we're supposed to already be in the rebuilding part and the 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 sad thing is we aren't yet and i'll say it sucks that it that there's a need for it but I'm glad that there is. It sucks that we got to stay strong longer. Right, That's really right. The Just part keep that fucking me. staying like, strong. I thought by now we'd be no longer staying strong, and we'd be yeah. chilling the fuck out with our masks off, getting life as close to back to normal as possible. And again, I realize this is a larger problem than just San Francisco, but it right. was the it was the best I could do to a place that I've lived in for a quarter century and truly love. And especially now that I'm all alone, like I'm married to the city, and you know. When you see it get that fucked up, it's just awful. Well, I have to tip my hat to you personally. Um, I I love the posters. I love what they are and what they stand for and what they're doing. Um, and I also, 
I mean, you hear other people say it, but specifically your posters are kind of what inspired me to include Stay Strong in our uh, in our sign off. Can we talk about this? Or do you or do you want to? Or do you or do you want to? Let's talk about where yeah. we are and what, yeah, why we're here. I would like people to do this from years to come. Um, this gentleman who owned this beautiful home was named Norman Larson, and he was an eccentric part of the Hate Street community for many years. He bought this home in, in the 80s and spent the last couple decades of his life restoring it to its original 1903 walls and floors and woodwork and, you know, <laughs> decoration and furniture also kind of complements it. And when he passed away, Norm donated this home to SF Heritage, which is a group of 50 years that preserves beautiful, interesting parts of our city. SF Heritage had been using this space for events and decided to turn it into an artist residency. Uh, Grants for the Arts was kind enough to fund this project. And I have been lucky enough to be sheltering in place in a three-story, you know, 3,000 square foot mansion on the corner of Haight Ashbury, quite possibly the strangest time in <laughs> right. So, but this history. was arranged before uh, uh, the quarantine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started talking okay. about this like two years ago. And as I mentioned, when you guys came in, I didn't right. think it was really going to happen. It just seemed pre-COVID, I mean, pre-pandemic. This is just a weird ass. Someone's like, yeah, we're going to give you a mansion to sit in by yourself with your cat and draw pictures all day about this neighborhood. Uh, there's a Haight-Ashbury Museum opening here in the neighborhood in the next few years. And part of the direction for this residency is to... Uh, no, that's great. I want her in the podcast. No, that's that's great. awesome. I want her in the podcast. Yeah, for sure. My cat, Mrs. Brown, is the happiest yeah. resident of this home. Yeah. The people that run SF Heritage have asked if she could just move in here permanently and become a part of the project, which I will not or allow. Or like, I if I cat. come with her, sure. Like, if I come with her. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I to be honest, right, I would right. never move out of North. I was just going to say, if you do leave, for me to hit me up because I'll take your place. No, okay. I'm going to live there till I die. Not yeah. necessarily in that apartment, but yeah. in that neighborhood for sure. Um, but yeah, this place has been funded to become an opportunity for future artists, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's an incredible opportunity. It's a really, it's a neighborhood that if you haven't spent time in, uh, I have. I lived in the Lower Haight when I was in college, and my my brown statue is just like a few blocks down the hill from there. I have a relationship with the hate. I have a business in uh, Upper Playground, which is celebrating its 21st year on Fillmore Street. Um, but I had never really spent a shitload of time up here, not since the 90s, like when I first moved here. So it's been a very difficult time for the Upper Hate. Uh, part of the responsibility that I'm going to ask future artists to take on is that you have to coordinate projects with local businesses. Uh, I'm producing a jacket with Derby jackets. That's a tribute to the old streetcar that used to run on Hate Street. Um, I'm producing a shirt with FTC. Uh, I'm hoping to draw something for Gus's Market next door, just because I really love it and I think it's a really right special business. And you just there? Yeah. The owner uh, yeah. passed away, unfortunately, really suddenly a few years ago, and I just it's somewhere I'd like to celebrate. So yeah, I mean, part of it isn't just sitting in this big beautiful house all by myself with my cat drawing pictures about a neighborhood that. Uh, we had a lot of plans for the project that unfortunately because of COVID we can't uh, we were supposed to do a bunch of really special interviews in the house with all these luminaries from that time period and uh, open studios and have little exhibitions in here and all these things that we're not doing so basically I'm just sitting in this giant house drawing pictures all alone that being said I think in years to come when things are a little more back to normal 
this is something that a lot of artists would really get a lot out of and I'm really hoping to direct sort of a lot of my friends and artists I really admire to do the project in the future just because are there ways really uh, um, regular non-artist folks can can what am I what I'm looking for support or yeah support uh, SF heritage or or anything that's that's tied to this their website you know they have an area to donate um, their Instagram is really informing and like shows all the local businesses that they support and it's a really there's an enormous amount of appreciation for our history in this city and they're no exception they're a real uh, cinder block in that foundation they really contribute a lot to the fabric of our city and at a time where you know <laughs> the city just grew more in the last 25 years than it has since the gold rush and it's a really easy time for some shit to just get paved over and painted over and they're going out of their way to make sure that doesn't happen because, let's face it, when we're living here at a time where one in every four San Franciscans, fact, mm -hmm. is moving away, like 25% of the city's moving away, for the rest of us, the other 75%, staying here is going to be very difficult. And the nice thing is that we know that, you know, when you go out in public from now on, when we're allowed to again, and you're standing at a bar, you know that the other, you know, you and the rest of the 75% all really love it here and all really give a shit about it. And that's why more than ever, uh, preserving our city's history and paying homage and respect to the parts of the city's historic fabric, I think, has never been more important and also probably never been more appreciated. Just because, like I said, we're going to transition into this wonderful new chapter in the city's history where everybody that lives here likes it. And we don't go out in public anymore and listen to people bitch about it or how much cooler it used to be. That kind of stuff is, is forbidden from here forward. We're just all supposed to enjoy it and appreciate it. Because let's face it, things are going to get real difficult, and not just here, but globally. Um, but I think it, uh, you know, it's an important time to to pay more attention to appreciating San Francisco and spend a lot less time complaining about it. That was Jeremy Fish. We're taking a break next week, so be sure to browse our archives, which now contain nearly 140 of your fellow San Franciscans. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, y'all. And check back on December 1st for our next episode. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 130 episodes over the last three years. And you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find the podcast just about everywhere you can listen, including, most recently, BFF.FM's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM Podcast Network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.